Welcome back, perfect peeps, to Perfect.dev. Today on the podcast, Tim Newtkins. What's up, Tim? Hey, thanks for having me. You may all notice I'm missing my cats behind me if you watch this regularly. Um, I moved my house and uh, went on vacation and still haven't put my studio together. So I'm working with what I've got. And uh, unfortunately, Tim gets to stare at the the blank purple wall behind me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't have a wall as well. So like it is mostly just blank and two doors, um, which do seem like they're next to each other, but they're actually not. But I was yeah. going to ask uh, you, like, you have kind of a quick exit either way you go. <laughs> no, it's actually like the the door behind me on that side is um, the laundry room. So <laughs> I can only exit through the other side. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been nice. I, I recently moved here, um, actually moved places as well. Uh, I'm living closer to Amsterdam now. Cool. Um, so it's actually really quick to get to Amsterdam, like only... 12 minutes by train. Um, so, yeah, that's been good. Uh, I moved here in November last year. So, almost a year uh, here. Yeah. Very cool. I haven't been to Amsterdam probably in 15 years to show my age a little bit. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun town for sure. It's very chill. Um, yeah. So, for those of you who do not know the face, which at this point I'd be shocked if you're watching our show and you don't know Tim, uh, Tim is is actually part of the Next.js team or also the Vercel team is probably the more correct way of putting that. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about kind of what you do at Vercel slash Next.js? You were cutting out for a second. Uh, okay, yeah. So. Um, just yeah. uh, just curious. So, if if I completely blanked out there, um, we'll just I'll cut this out. But <laughs> yeah, that's fine. so so Tim is Tim is actually part of the um, Vercel team, but he's also the co-author of Next.js and as well as MDX and Micro and NCC. But I'm kind of curious um, if you, in your own words, would like to describe kind of what you do at Vercel. Yeah, definitely. Um... Yeah, so my team at Vercel maintains the Next.js framework um, and most of the things related to that as well. So like um, like you obviously have the Next.js framework itself, which allows you to build web apps, web applications, uh, websites, uh, like anything from like marketing websites to uh, like full-fledged web apps. Um, and then like there's a few like other moving parts that uh, that Next.js like either uses or um, is like uh, basically has it built in. So like uh, libraries like Start.jsx, um, NCC, uh, like you mentioned, is, is something that we built to to basically bundle uh, JavaScript uh, into like a single file um, and uh, like notably like my team also. Um, uh, includes the co-author of uh, or the, the author of Webpack, uh, Tobias Coppers. Uh, so we practically also maintain uh, Webpack um, <laughs> uh, and uh, some of the REST tooling that we're working on recently as well, uh, like SWC. Um, so we're basically doing a lot of open source related things. And then inside of Vercel, we also uh, work on the integration between for sale on Next.js, um, so like making sure that 
if you're hosting on Vercel, that it goes smoothly um, together with the Vercel product teams as well uh, and uh, like other engineering teams. Um, yeah, that's that's basically like what my team does. We maintain the Nexus framework, so uh, handle like anything from issues to uh, to pull requests coming in, uh, answering discussions. Um, yeah, so and and basically like my role in all that has gone from because uh, Nexus been like was released four years ago or so. I've been at Vercel for three years. Um, uh, and like in between the like that one year, the, the initial year, I I was contributing a lot to to Nexus itself. Um, we we basically uh, so for my for my side, I basically went from uh, contributing a lot to the Nexus code base to now uh, being more of a tech lead, uh, working on um, I basically helping out the rest of the team and blocking them uh, and helping them move along in the Nexus code base uh, as well as uh, some sort of projects that we're working on. Nice. Um, just to kind of like go back in time a little bit there with Next.js, how did, like you said you were a contributor, but did like Guillermo sit down with you and say, hey, I want to start this thing? Or how, how did it become Next.js, like version 0.1 or whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Yeah, before the public release, there was a um, like basically Next.js was uh, created out of the need of building the Vercel dashboard. So um, when they started building the the whole website for uh, the Vercel platform uh, four years ago, uh, they basically ended up with like there wasn't really like a good solution for building full web apps uh, using. Uh, either React, but it even started as something completely different as well. Um, like it wasn't using React in the initial like first version. Oh, wow. um, it used a custom templating engine, uh, and then that could be server rendered and client side rendered as well. Um, but basically, like right before uh, they wanted to open source it, back then they decided like, oh, let's try and uh, like try it out with React. Um, and then uh, Nayuki and uh, Kishermo basically got together in Tokyo and they wrote this document uh, that basically turned into the Nexus documentation of the time. Uh, and it was mostly like documentation driven. So they, they wrote the docs of like how it would be like perfect in, in their sense, um, uh, like how it was supposed to work, like get initial props, uh, which is what we had back then, uh, and a lot of other things, like pages directory, uh, routing, client-side routing, that kind of stuff. So that was all laid out in the document. And then uh, Nayuki basically ended up um, like implementing all that uh, as the initial version. Um, and and then eventually like React also was added to, to that mix, basically. Um, is yeah, that became kind of, next. Was was that about the time that you stepped in, or were you part of kind of right after that? Yeah, so right after it was uh, publicly announced, um, Gushema basically reached out to me because I was already like pretty heavily involved in the Vercel community. I was uh, helping out on uh, this terminal uh, built on web technologies called Hyper, okay. um, and I was just randomly uh, fixing good first issues, that kind of stuff. Um, and and I was quite active on the, the Slack community that they had back then. 
Okay. Um, so eventually I got in touch with Kishermo uh, basically being like, hey, um, I'm working on all these like hyper pull requests. He was like, hey, maybe you should look at this new thing that we're building called Next.js. Um, and uh, I basically like had a look and I was working on mostly PHP related stuff back then. So like uh, it was the, my day job was basically building um, Magento web shops. Okay. Um, and uh, like some uh, Symfony and WordPress as well. Uh, next to that, and like did a lot of really custom PHP stuff uh, for for some of the largest companies in the Netherlands. Um, like working for an agency, um, and then eventually we basically um, uh, so like basically like I, I was looking at Next, and I was like, hey, this feels familiar in the sense that like I can create a pages directory every single file that you create is automatically mapped to a route. Um, and it actually makes the experience a lot better, uh, even for like back then, uh, by allowing you to make changes and immediately see them on the screen without having to refresh or do anything else. Because um, much of replacement wasn't like super popular at the time. Uh, that, that had very good reasons for like, PHP apps obviously don't run as, um, a, a normal like instance that you're running uh, that's always running your code, uh, so it doesn't like it can't keep state. Uh, at least like back then, it wasn't very common to do that. True. Um, so eventually, like I was like, okay, this is, sounds interesting, and I'll just like start helping out on good first issues because I was just learning a lot of JavaScript uh, in my free time, and then um, I, I just started helping out, and that eventually became sort of like the main thing that I was uh, like working on in my free time uh, on open source. Um, so I was doing a lot of uh, pull requests to just like make tiny changes and like things that uh, were like could be updated, uh, but um, just like people wouldn't get around to it basically because uh, there weren't like that many contributors, especially at that time. Um, and then there was a lot of example, like the examples directory already existed. So I also contributed a bunch of examples uh, for like how to use Next.js with Technology X or Y. Yeah, nice. It's always always good to dive into that documentation and and provide examples. It's a huge step forward for people. Yeah, exactly. Tim, with kind of diving in and and getting as part of the Vercel back then, probably Zite team, and getting used to Next.js and growing it. Um, Prior to that, it sounds like you had a lot of PHP experience, but this was kind of more in the React world. Were you like a fan of React or were you just kind of like starting to learn React because of this project and dive into it further? Um, yeah, the funny story there is that I actually learned React by contributing to Hyper because Hyper was actually <laughs> like in the initial version was using React as the rendering engine for the terminal. Um that obviously is not the most ideal thing to use for a terminal, like mostly because of the, the massive output, especially at the time it would block the, the main thread quite often. Um, yeah. So eventually like that, like in hyper itself was moved away uh, to using uh, WebGL, same rendering engine that um, uh, VS Code uses. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we worked a lot on that, but um, besides the point, uh, so I, I learned React through that. Um, that was also using Redux. So like the like every time you type something, it was Redux action. Um, and um, we were using React at the 
the company I was working for mostly to to build out some of the like more client side application type things. Um, and yeah, I really liked it. At the time, I didn't really look into like any of the other solutions more so. Um, the, like I had used Angular before, um, Vue, I didn't uh, see it at the time. So I learned uh, about it a lot later. Um, and yeah, so basically like eventually I, I just ended up using React a lot and then like contributing to Next, obviously I was learning uh, quite a lot there as well. Um, and eventually, uh, yeah, like basically just continued on that and like building on top of uh, the like existing foundation that was uh, there in Next already. That's really cool. Yeah, it, it's always amazing to me like when people dive into a project and like when you go to get hired somewhere and they quiz you on something, it's like, well, I've never done that. But like <laughs> just having the background and knowledge of something like that, you can learn and pick it up. So I'm always curious, like people's journeys through stuff like that. So that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so after you kind of started starting building up Next.js and you've created these examples now and, and you're building that, it sounds like you basically became the, the lead maintainer, one of the lead maintainers of Next.js. Um, what's that like? Like Next.js is massive and continues growing. What's it like having to lead something that size? Um, it's, it's fun. Like I, I mostly, uh, like what I like about it is um, that we didn't really like start out as like this massive, uh, massively used framework. Um, yeah. Like when it was released back in uh, 2016 in October, I believe from Top of My Mind, uh, 15 October or something like that. Um, we basically uh, had for, like it had some adoption, um, but it wasn't like anything major, and it was received quite. Interestingly, because people were not so into the server-side rendering part of things, um, and it just like took a time, like took a while to resonate with people. Like, hey, this might actually like make sense to to use this um, or this approach to building web apps. Um, mostly, as most of the the other solutions, like especially in the React space, were very focused on client-side rendering. Um, and and the sentiment back then was like, oh, we're not going to do any uh, like server-side rendering because everything is rendered on the client, so it's faster. Um, which in practice could be true, but it depended on where you are in the world and like which customers you're serving um, and a lot of other variables. Uh, so um, so yeah, like we just steadily started uh, like adding all the features that people were asking for or like the, the main things that that were um, like issues that people would run into. And then really like naturally it got a lot of adoption from larger companies and we didn't really like do anything or talk to them even. And we just saw that happen uh, over time. Um, later on, basically what I learned was that um, a lot of these companies were building their own internal Next.js type framework. Um, and uh, there would like either like happen, like one of two things would happen. Uh, the one is they would end up um, like spending a lot of time on having to maintain this framework and this like infrastructure. Um, and generally like the other case that we saw happen a lot was that 
the people that would start building these frameworks internally would move away to other jobs or other uh, like uh, companies even. So like either they move to different teams inside of the company because like other teams also need this kind of solution and they have built it before. And then the, the teams that would have that uh, solution already would not be sure like what to do anymore uh, with that framework. Um, and uh, like the, the main difference there is that like internal uh, self-built versus like open source external is that um, it ends up with a lot more documentation examples and other way like how to use this thing uh, type solutions. So like early on, we saw a lot of that. Um, and over time, we started adding more and more like sort of the building blocks that you have in Next today um, that allow you to build like larger apps. Um, and basically like make sure that, like the, the nice thing that we can do in Next is that we can keep optimizing the uh, like fundamental uh, building blocks. So we can still make compilation a lot faster. We can still make the performance of your app a lot faster. Uh, and the nice thing about Next is that we can do it in a way that is sort of like backwards compatible um, and gives you a really smooth path towards um, like better performance, better um, uh, speed of your application. So um, like what we saw is that over time, as we kept releasing these performance improvements, um, Next got more adoption as well. Um, and obviously like the, the way that open source sort of works uh, nowadays is that um, if people see a lot of adoption, other people will also jump in and try like start using the, the same solutions that other people are using. Um, so it's sort of like a network effect almost, because like we're not um, like the, the first few years we didn't do like much marketing. We did some talks. We did um, uh, like write the, the documentation and rewrite it a few times, uh, provide examples, all that. Um, and that really like laid the foundation that that we have today, basically. Like a lot of the things that were already there uh, years ago are still here today, and we've just like built it on top of them and improved that. Yeah, that's really incredible. Um, you talk about some of those larger companies. Have you like I know on on Vercel's page, I assume it's similar to Next. Um, you're working with like McDonald's and Washington Post and like huge companies. Is that are those people that you work daily with or is there a whole like separate support team that you guys are working with? Yeah. So we have multiple teams inside of Forcell. Um, and then like over the last year or so, we've also grown a uh, like multiple teams, like some teams that help out on um, like, if you come to us with like, okay, we have a Next.js app and we want to scale it out to, uh, to massive amounts of traffic. Uh, and like how to to leverage for sale and the for sale platform for that. Um, so we have uh, folks helping with that in particular. Uh, we also have folks on the solutions team uh, that basically helps uh, with like if you start uh, as a like enterprise customer at for sale, um, like here we can help you and give you advice on like okay this is what you can do to either improve performance of your app or like developer uh, experience of, of how. Um, your team's working with Next.js, uh, all that. Um, and then like my team in particular is working a lot with like larger companies that um, are like, they want specific optimizations or uh, like performance uh, improvements. Um, like they see slow builds or 
like want to foster uh, development iteration loops. Um, and we're like currently focusing a lot on making sure that the performance of Next is uh, is fast enough to like handle these larger cases. It already handles that, but it can be a, a lot faster still. So we're currently working on um, like rewriting a lot of the tool chain that is used in Next to uh, Rust, uh, like I mentioned before. Um, and and there's some really like large performance improvements uh, coming for that. Yeah, that's really exciting. I can't wait for some of the Rust stuff to to hit. It's going to be crazy fast. Um, kind of kind of jumping back a little bit on the lead maintainer piece. Um, how do you like decide? what PRs and things to go after first. I mean, there's a ton of them, right? Like Next has 74,000 stars. It's a massive project. Um, and I've, I've seen at certain times where you've had to say like, hey, uh, we're not doing this. I've got to close this PR just immediately. And then you get all this flack. Like, how do you handle that as a massive open source project and a leader for it? Yeah, it's uh, it's tricky. Um... Like overall, uh, we try to land as like much as possible uh, that that like community PRs or even like our own PRs. Like sometimes like even our own stuff that we build and like try to work out doesn't work out, um, and then like we obviously also close those um, uh, as being like okay, this was a uh, experiment and like it's not going to work. So um, like please don't use it. Like we have experimental flags and all that. Yeah. Um, from the, the side of like, um, the, the, the main problem that you get as you get larger is that there's more and more and more people that have all these different use cases right. and every single use case that you couldn't come up with is going to be found by someone else. Yeah. Um, so if you release a feature, um, any feature, if it's a single flag inside of the Nexus config, uh, which might seem as simple as possible. Uh, it's just like an on or off switch. Uh, there will be cases where there are edge cases that people will find that breaks their app or doesn't work or like that kind of thing. Uh, so anything that we add is a maintenance burden for uh, my team, basically. Um, and in general, like when we add things, that's fine. Like we know that there's the trade-off um, of the, the framework itself expanding and like having more features. Um, what we try to do as well is like make sure that um, the fundamentals stay good over time. So what that means is that instead of adding uh, maybe like 20 features in the last uh, like five months or so, we've instead been working on improving performance of uh, all Nexus apps. Um, so and that trade-off is really hard to understand if you're not working on the thing itself because... Yeah. Um, uh, like you might come in tomorrow and be like, okay, I need this feature because otherwise, like, I can't ship to production, and like, I need all these other uh, like flags that Nexus is not giving me, um, and um, and then be like really unhappy with that uh, specific like feature being missing. Whereas um, if then today we say, or, or like if we then tomorrow we say like, okay, here's a new release, now your uh, developer experience is like 100% faster or <laughs> like 10x faster or something like that. Uh, then you're still like upset of the feature missing, uh, but a little bit happier because your uh, developer experience is much faster. Right. So it's really like continuously balancing if um, a feature that people ask for is something that uh, a lot of people want, 
because um, we obviously can't also add features specifically only for like one specific app in particular. Um, so what we try to do is always try to find a generic solution and and work with people to to figure out if like adding something makes sense. And then there's obviously always a backlog of the things that we already think that like make sense, but we just haven't gotten around to uh, implementing them. Nice. So like over time, we keep adding features, um, and obviously like keep adding maintenance burden for ourselves as well in in the process. Um, but that is all right. Like we we just try to add um, the the features that are logical and like make sense to add into Next.js. Um, so like there's there's like many examples of like people getting super upset because yeah. um, like we close a specific feature request that like more than a few people want, uh, but don't really make sense for like Next.js in the long run. Like a um, good example of that would be like changing the pages directory. Like it might sound like a simple change, um, but um, like a good example there is if you allow for changing the dist directory, which we did add like very early on, um, it, it it gives so many like other use cases that people hadn't uh, seen before um, that it makes uh, like building generic solutions really hard. So like if you are allowed to change the the dist here, which we do allow currently, <laughs> um, the next start can't find the dist directory, for example. Like it has to read next config and try to find uh, all of these things. So like like we always try to find the right like feature and heuristic and uh, and thing that will make uh, your life easier. Um, and uh, yeah, so like there's there's still a lot of things that we want to do, but just like haven't gotten around to basically. Yeah, it's a super uh, tough balance. Performance sure. and other things, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is probably a really great segue since uh, <laughs> the title the title of this pod is reviewing Next.js 11 features. Um, so I think I have this right when I looked at it um, for the actual tag version 11, there was 326 commits. So we were talking about like those changes and a lot of people have already said, well, there wasn't much change in, in version 11. Well, I can tell you right now, there's a ton of commits against it. Um, how do you go about like testing all of those changes to say, okay, we have a, a full uh full dot or a major release coming out, how do you go about saying it's okay to release and how many RCs do you have to go through and like tests do you have to perform? What's that look like from your side, Tim? Yeah, so what we currently have is we have this integration test suite that is like mostly our whole um, like test suite. So I think that like 99 or 98% of all tests that we write are integration tests in Next.js. Um, trade-off there is that it's a lot slower to run, but we try to parallelize that. Um, but basically, it does run against uh, like real Next.js apps that are uh, built specifically to test out the features that we're adding. So, if you have uh, Next Link or Next Head, like those are run in a real browser, and um, it, like we try to uh, like we we don't try, we actually do. We click the link. Uh, like programmatically, and then like check if the navigation happens, that kind of stuff. Um, we even do that for uh, fast refresh. So like for uh, you make a change to a file, uh, does it update in the browser? And um, if you make an error, does that give the error overlay, that kind of stuff? 
Um, yep. So for every single feature, we have these integration tests running um, against uh, the whole code base, basically. Uh, so like it's a real Next.js app, which is like like normal Next.js apps uh, using the CLI, and then um, like we, we ran a bunch of like browser tests against it. Um, so that's really like how we uh, do things from the testing side of things, um, and then for the release side of things. So like how do you do releases? We currently have a um, like stable channel, so that's just a normal like eleven point zero, eleven point one, etc. Uh, and the Canary channel. So the Canary channel is actually a uh, sort of more of like a beta channel um, that does run against like same test suite that we have for all Next.js apps, uh, like all those Next.js apps running against the same code base. Um, so in general, like the Canary releases uh, could be more stable than the stable releases uh, because of the, the way that we always add tests for all the, the bugs that we fix and, and all that. Um, so uh, what you can do is you can actually install like npm install next at Canary, and then it will get you the latest um, Canary release, which is generally the the one from the day before or like the last time we released it. But in general, we end up releasing at least once per day, um, just because the team has grown and like we're we're at um, a point now where. Uh, a lot of pull requests are being landed all the time, and we tend to do release after uh, most um, pull requests being landed. Um, cool. So yeah, that's like how we do releases currently. And then like for a stable release, we just take the latest Canary and uh, do a new release, a stable release, and then that's just published to npm because uh, we have, practically speaking, we have everything automated. Um, so like the only thing that you as a developer like working on next uh, has to do is run one command and say like which version you want to release. And so it's like yarn uh, publish stable or publish canary. And then like it does, for canary it even figures out like what version it's going to be because it's always uh, the same, uh, like, use it, you, like the same version tag uh, <laughs> in, in that sense as a standard format. And then for stable, it asks you, do you want to release a major, minor or patch? Um, nice. Or like even like some, uh, some other like custom format if you want to, but. We don't do that. Yeah. Cool. No, that's great. That's that's good insight for those that are kind of working on Next and also using it too. That's really cool. Um, so Next 11, after talking about kind of how you integrate all those changes and how much is in it, um, what are the biggest takeaways for you? I, I kind of pulled out of it and, and mine are still the collaborative preview, conformance, the image tag and the script tag. Yeah. Do you want to kind of... Okay. Yeah, it's, it's like the the nice thing about this uh, release is that everything that has been released in this release is super exciting and has a measurable impact on uh, performance uh, in in various ways. So it's, it's not just about like application performance, but also developer uh, experience. Um, so like the 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 biggest thing that we released is the conformance system, uh, which is basically a a uh, set of ESLint rules that help you uh, towards building a more performant web application. Uh, and we've been adding onto those after the 11 release as well. So like there's a lot more rules uh, already uh, if you install Next right now. Um, and uh, like besides conformance, so that's built on top of ESLint um, and, and can check like any JavaScript file. Uh, it will basically like warn you if you're using 
uh, a normal A tag for a internal link, uh, for example. Uh, so like to get clients at writing, it warrants you to use um, like fonts in a certain way to, to make sure that font optimization works, which is basically like inlining the font, which uh, reduces the uh, like first contentful paint basically mm-hmm. uh, as some priority there uh, basically. Um, and it it basically warrants you for for more uh, of these uh, specific rules that we have um, that we know that if you uh, like add synchronous scripts, for example, um, that is now recommended to use uh, like next script, uh, which gives us more control over where the script itself is being loaded. Um, so, uh, as like most people know, like if you build a website or web application, there's always going to be an external service that says like, "Hey, put this script tag into the head," yeah. um, like Google Analytics, uh, Tech Manager, that kind of stuff, um, or even like external services like uh, chat windows and chat boxes, that kind of stuff. Um, so with next script, we can actually say like, okay, this script has to be loaded once we know that the hydration is done for React. Um, so like everything is already interactive, um, and that could actually improve performance for um, if you're for for example like you want to have a faster first contentful paint because like there will be no blocking scripts because the next script uh, element ensures that you don't have blocking scripts basically. Um, so, so basically guides you towards this like more performant usage of uh, external scripts. Uh, as we saw that like the one of the biggest performance issues uh, that you can have in the website is actually including synchronous scripts and scripts that are uh, from external parties that you don't need to have be like those ha- don't have to be loaded immediately per se, mm-hmm. uh, except for like uh, the analytics parts maybe. Um, but for like an external like chat window that like pops up in the side of your screen, uh, you probably want to have that loaded at a lower priority than all the other things. Um, so that's what next script helps with. And then um, like next image, uh, we expanded that. Um, so in next time we released the next image, the next image is um, this image component for React that has uh, optimization of images built in. Uh, and now we actually have expanded that to also have Blurup placeholders. It's like you can basically have blurry placeholders by by importing images. Uh, so that's a new feature as well. Yeah, that, um, that we're still working great. on some of the I'm basically collecting feedback around images and like how people are using them and trying to to improve the the developer experience and the user experience there uh, still. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing feature when you can kind of deal with the local images in that blur up and how how small it basically becomes when you're including that blur. It's like less than a K and it turns out like yeah. larger than that. So it's pretty incredible. Yeah, and uh, the main thing there as well is that um the like if you use next image, all images are standard uh like lazy loaded, uh, which is also why the blur um is, is useful there. And then um on top of that, it optimizes and uh, serves like optimized images as well, because that's like yeah. built into Next. Um, so you get WebP and uh, soon also uh, AVIV, uh, the new uh, format. Um, and, and yeah, that's that's really helped with like basically like 
if you start a, a web app and you forget to optimize your images, like next image will just do it automatically if you're using it. Uh, and then the neat thing about the image imports as well is that you don't have to provide a width and height for uh, next image. Because um, that's a requirement on next image to ensure that you don't get a layout shift, which basically means that like items shift around the page as a image is loaded. Because um, the, the space needed for the image is not um, taken up uh, when you load the page. Uh, next image guides you towards uh, doing that basically. Yeah, it's it's really incredible. I know for the the um, conformance piece, you guys worked really closely with the the Google team on that since they're kind of laying out. I don't I don't know if you call it a RFC or or what it is, but um, on the conformance side, did you guys work with them to kind of help you with a lot of these other changes as well? Yeah. So. Um... Basically, next script, next image uh, came out of uh, the Chrome Aurora team. Uh, it actually has a name now. Uh, it's a team inside of Google that is, uh, or like inside of the Chrome organization that is basically helping uh, frameworks um, with performance optimizations and like basically making sure that the the outcomes of um, like web applications being built with various frameworks are. Um, basically like to standard or like more optimized than uh, today. Um, and we've been working with them for more than two years now, actually. Uh, but it previously didn't have like really have a name. Uh, now there's actually a, a blog post about it as well, yeah. uh, which you can find on uh, web.dev, um, which I'm sure you'll uh, include in the, the show notes. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I run my site through there all the time. So yeah. <laughs> so in um, the like in that blog post, it basically is explained like what they're doing exactly, why they're working with with us on the Nexus team. Um, like one of the reasons there is that uh, like it it basically uh, like because Nexus is being used by so many really large companies, it um, is being used by a, a large percentage of like really like top uh, websites. Um, so there's a really high impact. Like if you make a change in Next, it's going to propagate to a lot of like React users, basically. Um, and then the nice thing uh, from this as well is that uh, landing these optimizations is not just good for like Nexus itself, but also for the whole ecosystem. Because like a lot of this uh, like font optimization uh, has landed in Angular as well. Um, the conformance bit uh, has landed in Angular as well, and like not even from the Google side of things, because like uh, obviously like those teams are in touch as well. Um, like in Nuxt, you also have an image component now in image optimization, uh, and uh, a bunch of other frameworks have uh, like copied or uh, like looked into like some of the optimizations that we've done together with the Chrome team as well. So like a larger optimization is uh, one that um, was investigated by the Chrome team for like a better chunking algorithm that uh, gives a like basically the the maximum amount of JavaScript files for a, a given app, uh, like what is the right um, like order of including all of those uh, JavaScript modules into separate bundles, uh, and like what to optimize for to ensure that your like browser caching is is not uh, thrown out all the time, um, versus uh, like having smaller bundles and like faster loading performance. Uh, so that had a really huge, huge impact on um, like how uh, the chunking like works in Next.js, and that reduced bundle sizes tremendously uh, for some for some apps by like 
really big chunk, uh, especially for um, like homepage loads, that kind of stuff. Um, and that has now been included as the default in Webpack 5. So every single Webpack app that uses split chunks uh, has this as the default. Um, and it's being used in some other frameworks as well. So like this collaboration basically allows uh, the Chrome team to experiment and figure out like what is the like right approach to, to solving like injecting scripts, that kind of stuff. Um, while also like having a, a test bed for that. Um, so like it's not just an experiment, they're actually shipping it to production inside of Next.js. Um, awesome. and, and like we're measuring the, the performance of that as well. Really cool that like it's not just helping uh, individual framework, it's kind of helping the web as a whole to improve across all of that. Um, you mentioned Webpack 5 and it kind of piqued my ear a little bit. Um, I, I noticed in upgrading from from 10 to 11, the Webpack 5, I, I think prior to that, it was already kind of standard and you had to opt out of it type of thing. Um, I noticed there was possibly, and this is maybe a question, uh, some additional polyfills that came in. So um, there's some things that I had to put kind of in my config uh, prior to that to ignore like node packages when they came in um, through ESMs and, and things like that, where they would show up with FS in them. So the file, file server and, and uh, stuff like that. And is, is that because of Webpack 5 coming into play that those were kind of reduced down? And did that alleviate a lot of things you guys were dealing with in Webpack 4? Um, it actually is the other way around. So okay. Webpack 5 dropped all polyfills. Um, and what we did in Next is actually add the polyfills that were in Webpack 4 into Next. Um, gotcha. So like into the, the Webpack uh, config that we use for Next um, to ensure that you as an end user can just upgrade to the latest Nexus version, don't get any breakage. Um, like in the near future, we're planning to actually uh, show a warning when you have um, some of these modules. Um, the file system is not polyfilled though, so I'm not exactly sure why that didn't show up as an error. Um, okay. But the like basically the other libraries like DNS, crypto, that kind of stuff um, are still included if you use them in Next um, with with Webpack five enabled on Next.js eleven, uh, and the main reason for that is backwards compatibility. So like, um, yeah, it might be good to to explain a bit there is that like we tend to make sure that like you can as a user can just upgrade to the latest version and have the minimal amount of um, friction if you didn't make any like specific config changes so uh, if you have custom webpack config obviously like if we upgrade webpack and like have a new webpack version that is going to break in some way because like you had some custom config that that we couldn't control um, but if you had a uh, like Nexus 10 app that didn't use any custom configuration, uh, so no custom Webpack config uh, or custom Bevel config, uh, it will just work if you ran on Webpack 11 or in uh, Nexus 11. I mean, um, okay. So that has been sort of like between the releases, we've been really um, uh, like particularly focused on making sure that you have this backwards compat. Because uh, we could have also said, like, okay, we're going to um, release Nexus 11, um, and it's going to have Webpack 5. But without this backwards compat, so, like, without the polyfills, um, and without any way to, like, 
have an incremental pod towards using Webpack 5. Um, so in uh, like in the 10.x releases, we, we already introduced Webpack 4 and Webpack 5, and then Webpack 5 was the opt-in part. Yeah. Uh, except for the cases where we knew that like you didn't have custom Webpack config, so we know that it's going to work. Um, and that's been really successful. So like over the uh, like past few months, so like mostly of the most of this year actually, um, we went from running all apps on Webpack 4 to running all new apps on Webpack 4 um, without custom configuration. And then eventually like Nexus 11 was the last part there, which is uh, Webpack 5 enabled for everyone. You can still opt out and use Webpack 4 um, for now, but we're planning to deprecate that in the near future to to basically like get rid of a lot of the like legacy code that we have to to support Webpack 4. So uh, I, and it also enables some new features as well. Yeah. I know from my experience going from 10 to 11, like we had a, a small customization that I was actually able to remove. I, I'm not sure exactly, um, probably because of the polyfills or something like that, but. Um, from what you've seen across the board, um, is it a pretty easy migration that people are finding from 10 to 11? Yeah, we, we do have an upgrade guide. So if you go to nexus.org slash docs slash upgrading, you end up with like basically all the steps that you have to take in order to uh, make it fully compatible. But in practice, um, a lot of these steps are actually like more so like, okay, you can now remove this custom config and this custom config. Uh, and then, like some of the uh, features that have been deprecated for since Nexus four or something, uh, we finally got around to removing them uh, to just uh, clean up some some uh, space in the browser panels uh, for some cases. Um, and we saw that like mostly no one is using those anymore. Uh, obviously, because there's been a warning for them since Nexus <laughs> four. Um, but finally, uh, IE will die off. <laughs> Yeah, so we still uh, support Internet Explorer, but we're planning to also uh, like move away from from supporting Internet Explorer like around uh, like the next few months or so, uh, and then like also provide a way to use ES modules as well as the output of Next. Uh, so there's lots of small clap. Finally. Yeah, I'm excited um, about it as well because like now we can actually do less compilation um, and like with the the new compiler that we're working on, uh, which we'll probably talk about later, um, it, it will allow us to do less transformation. So it, it will be slightly faster as well. Well, that that was kind of a fantastic segue with the, the later piece. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we kind of had, uh, we were able to have kind of Next.js Conf special edition in June. I know we're, we're kind of a few months out of that, um, but, do we expect another Next.js conf in October that will release Next.js 12? I'm not exactly sure if I can talk about it yet. Okay. Um, We're just going to put that as a maybe. But yeah. if, if we if we theoretically will have a yeah. conf eventually, what are, what are some of the things that you can talk about that you've been working on? Yeah, so... Um, yeah, over the, the last few months, we've been working on uh, migrating to REST-based toolchain, uh, which is uh, called SWC, uh, which stands for Speedy Web Compiler. Um, it's a project that uh, basically started as sort of a port of Babel, um, not so much in like exactly how it works, but the output being fairly similar and uh, much faster to compile. 
Um, so like a difference of a few hundred milliseconds for Babel versus uh, a few milliseconds for uh, SWC. Um, so it's it's much faster in that sense and it allows us to basically preserve a lot of the um, the optimizations that we do currently inside of Next.js because we have some custom Babel transforms and we're currently porting those to uh, SWC. Um, and uh, in doing so, we've we've also recently hired the author of SWC to work on my team as well. Um, so uh, KDY1 uh, has, has joined um, the, the Nexus team to basically work on like SWC um, related like transformation. And that um, also has some impact on the whole ecosystem as a whole, like especially with the uh, some of the newer frameworks using uh, SWC as well, because um, we've been making a lot of these like improvements to, um, like for example, minification. So like currently, what we do and what, like what most um, uh, like frameworks and uh, like self-rolled libraries do is they use Terser to minify their JavaScript, um, and Terser is uh, like really good at minifying actually. So like the output is really good. Uh, the main uh, thing there is that um, it can be a lot faster to compile if you like write a native uh, version of that. Uh, so we've been working with KDY to um, basically port all of the, the like Terser transforms to SWC so that SWC can do minification uh, on a similar level to Terser, uh, but be much faster at doing so. Uh, and the initial results for that have been really good. Um, it's it's been looking super good, like 10x uh, improvement, um, and uh, it, it basically like it's still not as optimized as it could be. And the the nice thing that we're doing right now is that we also have uh, some specific performance improvements for the minifier coming, specifically for Webpack bundle output. So like we can actually parallelize a lot of the uh, like Webpack bundles uh, as well, uh, which is quite cool. Um, so, so yeah, so that's like, it basically is going to replace the the Babel toolchain and the Terser toolchain that we currently use. Um, and then um, like all of that would be using SWC, but it works in slightly different ways between like compiling a single file and a whole bundle of compiled code uh, out of Webpack. Um, but yeah, there are some exciting performance improvements there, and like we're still working on other um, like avenues to better performance as well. So like uh, like rewriting other bits in Rust um, and uh, doing some performance optimizations and like low hanging fruit that we we found in in apps. I know there's a there's a log rocket post out there about SWC versus Babel, and it's it kind of blew my mind with the numbers they're representing. Um, I pulled it up real quick just to to look through it again. Um, they have an experiment out here with four promises on parallel of four, and Babel in ES five is twenty seven operations per second. And SWC and ES3 is 1,704 operations per second. So it's magnitudes faster. It's it's kind of unbelievable. So I'm really excited that you guys have started that shift and are, are moving that way. I can't wait. Um, to put it kind of somewhat in layman's terms, because a lot of us are just like front-end developers. We don't know what's going on in the back end. I'll point at myself half the time. Um, the For a speed 
piece in SWC where that really comes in, um, especially is in the build side. So your CI/CD pipeline, all of a sudden you're paying less for like getting that output. Um, will we see that on the, the dev server side too, uh, speed and performance then? Yeah, yeah. So the the main two uh, two places where it's going to help is um, compiling single files. So if you make a change as a developer, you're you're making uh, like some st- like styling change or some other change that um, uh, is inside of your React component. It's going to be much faster to get that onto your screen. Uh, and that's really like our like main goal is to be uh, as quick as possible in providing you that like update on the screen. Um, so that's like one of the, uh, like main parts of that. And then the other is for cold builds, uh, cause like there's a difference between like a worm build, which is basically you have a cache available. It's already been compiled for the most part. And then like you have a single file change as well, cause you make some change in the component and it has to recompile only that uh, specific file and then the bundles, uh, that relate to it. Um, those, uh, cold builds will be a lot faster as well. Awesome. Uh, for worm builds, they will be faster too, but in a lesser magnitude because of the um, uh, like less files needing to be compiled. Obviously, that's really cool. Yeah, I'm excited for that. So in in the past, and we've talked, and one of the the cool features you guys have been working on is on demand revalidation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so. It's really good to explain like what uh, revalidation is to begin with. Um, so what you can do in Next is actually have a static page be regenerated after it's been generated during the build, um, or even like generate new static pages as well. Uh, like after you create a page in your CMS, you can access that URL. It will be statically generated, uh, cached in the Nexus server, uh, and then. Uh, you don't have to regenerate it again uh, after like that part, except for if you make some changes. Obviously, like if you uh, like uh, release a new blog post and you're like, "Oh wait, I, I made a um, twelve like, title is completely wrong," or like there's some typo or I <laughs> spelled someone's name wrong, um, and uh, you're like, "Oh wait, I built a static page. Now I have to rerun the whole build, and it's going to take forever." Um, and in the meantime, people can see that uh, as well. So what we built inside of Nexus is that you have this revalidate property that allows you to regenerate a, a static page in the background. So a user goes to a page, they see the page itself that has been like cached already, and then in the background, it's going to regenerate it, uh, which is really useful if you have a, a live data uh, feed. So, like, so for example, a CMS or um, it's like some uh, like other data pipeline that is like semi real time is what I generally call it. So it's not like you don't want to go to the page and see the latest uh, reading of um, of the database per se because that's slower. Um, but instead, like if it's one second off, that's totally fine. If they refresh, they see the update. Um, and for many cases, like the CMS case, it's generally fine to do that. Um, however, like. Over time, once we release this feature, the first thing that people asked about, uh, which is quite understandable, is like, how do I do um, this thing where if I create something in the CMS uh, and um, it is updated, so I changed this uh, person's name because I spelled it wrong, uh, how can I get that to the website immediately? Um, and uh, that's basically like where on-demand revalidation uh, comes from. So. 
it's something that we've been investigating and uh, it allows you to uh, basically send a signal from your CMS, if the CMS supports that, to a Next.js app being like, hey, there's a change to this particular page or this particular like cache key. Um, and in doing so, it can then, in the background, so still like all users that request that page see the, like, the not new generated page. Um, they they will in the background generate a new page and then that is like obviously replaced again and if you refresh you see the update. Uh, the main upside to that is that uh, you see these changes immediately and you don't have to revalidate uh, on demand any like uh, when a user goes to the uh, to the page basically, um, which allows you to uh, basically like have less re-renders um, uh, and less like execution in that sense um, because of that. Um, and it also um, means that it's like mostly real time because like if your database changes, you like basically send Nexus a signal and uh, it's updated on the front end as well, uh, which is uh, looking really good so far. Um, and like once that is uh, released, you can basically like tie that into your like CMS. So it's like, hey, post to this URL or something when um, when this page changes. That's really cool. I, I run into that a lot, especially like when I go to release a course and I'm like, oh, I, I screwed something up. I want to pull that back. It takes, currently I have my homepage set for an hour. It revalidates every hour. So it'd be really nice to click a button or fire URL or whatever and have it like, oh, okay, pull back, re- redo. <laughs> so uh, that's yeah. something that's that's really awesome to have. I think we didn't talk about Nexus Live too much, oh, yeah. uh, but it's definitely something to check out. Um, it allows you to basically run an Nexus app in the browser. You build a whole new uh, development server for that, um, which, which runs in a service worker. And then uh, we use WebAssembly-based, uh, like SWC, basically, to to compile uh, files. And uh, it's uh, it basically, like, the, the nice thing here is that it allows you to interactively work together with someone else. So you can actually share your your uh, like deployment URL uh, or like a Nexus Live URL uh, basically because it's online um, and and then like you could basically look at the the specific thing that I have built and I could make changes while you're uh, looking at it um, sort of like Chrome DevTools uh, but um, it's it's more immediate and uh, you see it in the page itself without. Uh, having to uh, be like looking at my screen, for example. Um, so, that, so that allows for really like cool collaborative features and to it's like comment and talk to each other uh, in that sense, yeah. So it's probably really helpful if you have like a remote team and your designers, like even though you're kind of in Figma or Miro or whatever doing your designs, um, to be able to jump in and actually, oh, let me let me code that real quick. How's this look? Um, that, that sort of kind of back and forth. Yeah, really yeah, that's how because uh, for sales all remote, so that's how we're using it as well. Um, so, uh, like interacting with designers on like, okay, this is a design system, and like, okay, this has to change that kind of stuff. Uh, but also like because of uh, the result team being so remote that like, for example, I'm based out of the Netherlands, and there's only one other person in the Netherlands, but <laughs> like he lives in the completely opposite side of the Netherlands. Um, uh, and doesn't work on my team as well. Um, so it, it basically allows us to to collaborate together as well um, without having to like screen share and do a lot of other uh, things there. Yeah. 
Very cool. Oh, it's awesome. I can't wait for that. Um, and I can't wait for, uh, next, the next, next JS comp, uh, when, when it gets here. So great. Um, this time we're going to kind of do our, our fun, perfect picks that we like to do. So my, my first and only perfect pick this week, um, builder IO, it, it's something that popped up. Uh, if you don't follow Tyler McGinnis and UI dev, um, awesome newsletter, make sure, make sure you check it out. I'm always getting fun tidbits out of that one. Um, I was able to check out, um, builder IO and I'm always looking for something when, when you have clients that are not super technical and you have them like in a CMS backend that doesn't like correlate at all with the site they're working on becomes really tricky for them to change a lot of the page. And I I think that's why, um, like sites that have a true, like builder and WYSIWYG and block templating, um, becomes really popular is because of that. Um, WordPress, even like they have their kind of new block builder that you can use and things like that. But prior to that, it was, it was super challenging. And with all the new headless CMSs and, and things like that, it's still a challenge. Um, like if you use sanity IO, I love sanity, but their studio is it's one flavor of it. And you're still kind of separated from the main site usually, um, unless you create your own backend. So, uh, the hope is that Builder.io starts to kind of bring that together. And one of the, the biggest parts um, that they're kind of leveraging right now is Shopify because of the huge e-commerce piece that's coming into play. Um, so you'll see on their main page, they talk a lot about kind of where that marketing design kind of comes into the code piece. And if you go and walk through, they actually have a sweet uh, Next.js Shopify um, build that's out there. And so this is kind of the code base you can start from. And then once you start to use that, you can come into, I hope it loads. Here we go. Uh, a page like this, and you can start, uh, just changing around blocks and different things. So if I do that, easy to change, update and release your code. So it's a really, really neat tool. I I don't know that it's like a hundred percent there yet, but it's got a really good start to it. And I'm excited to, to see where this one goes. So check out builder.io. Uh, I've, I've been enjoying reading, which is uh, fun because it's actually a, a colleague of mine now. Um, Lee Robinson has been uh, blogging about a lot of like Nexus related um, things that are like not particularly um, like, okay, here's how you build a Nexus app, uh, but more so about Here's all the like conceptual things that um, that like how um, like one of the latest like most popular uh, like blog posts that he's written is everything I know about style guides, design systems, and component libraries. Uh, and there's some really like cool deep dive um, like blog posts and also like courses on Next.js that are now free uh, on LeeRob.io. Indeed, um, just funny because I I have to non-night version of it uh, oh. right now. Let's see. Here you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's like some really cool blog posts that Lee has been working on. Um, and uh, recently, actually, his team uh, expanded as well. So uh, there's some more folks on the, the developer relations team at, uh, at Forcell now as well, uh, Delba as well, uh, for example. And... Um, they've been doing some really cool stuff and really like deep dives into Nexus related 
um, like things that you have to know about. So like we recently added testing documentation to uh, the Nexus docs, uh, which we um, haven't uh, shared too much publicly, like only on Twitter, I believe, uh, and on the, the blog posts. Um, but there are some really like cool, um, like more like deep dive type uh, blog posts out there uh, on like how to do various websites things. So like not just Next.js, but also like how do I design a website and like how does Stripe do this, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, oh, that's really cool. Um, so I think I heard this correctly when you said he's a colleague of yours. He's actually head of developer relations at Vercel now, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think I've been in touch with Ali a little bit. That's awesome. Well, very cool, Tim. I appreciate, um, I know you're a busy man and I appreciate uh, stealing an hour away from you today. And I'm really excited about kind of where Next.js is, but also where it's going. It sounds like you guys have a, a lot of incredible things uh, upcoming. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, stay tuned on the, the performance improvements, especially. Like, I'm super excited for those. Um, so, like, once we get that out, uh, and it will be backwards compatible as well. So, like, if you don't have custom weapon config, it's going to be fairly automatic. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be cool. Um, and thanks for having me, for sure. Yeah, thanks. We'll see you soon. <laughs>